Hello and welcome to Future Fuzz, the digital marketing podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Future Fuzz podcast, recorded remotely from Amsterdam in the Netherlands and St. Andrews in Scotland. I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Webster to the show today. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thanks. I am equally delighted to be here. Great. A pleasure to have you on. And I'm going to say that uh, we're introducing you today as a fractional marketing consultant and you um, head up your consultancy firm. Sarah, let's go straight into it. What do you, what do you mean by fractional marketing consultant? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I take it to mean that I offer marketing consultancy and market, uh, CMO services on a part-time basis to organisations that probably otherwise wouldn't have that level of marketing skill in their organisation. Um, so they can buy bite-sized chunks a day, two days a week um, for me to provide services in there uh, rather than potentially looking at uh, a less experienced member of staff on a full-time salary. Um, and it's something, it's a, it's a title that um, I, was, I was referred to as rather than one I created for myself, but I really liked the way it, it put it. It sounded a little bit better than part-time CMO because um, I'm not part-time. That's the thing. I, I, I work full-time, but my time is bought in fractions of, of, of a full-time position. So, yeah, um, it's quite a nice way of describing it. Who, who gave you the, who used the term fractional marketing consultant? Can you do a name drop there? Or uh, I certainly could. Uh, it, it's Steph Bardega, who is an old colleague of mine from my iProspect days, but he has um, he is one of the founders of Traction AI, who are a, a resourcing platform that position fractional CMOs and match them up with, with organisations and contracts that they're looking for. So he was using the role description, um, and talked about me with it, and I was, that, that's that's it stuck. Um, I do get contacted quite regularly with people saying, "I love your job title. What what is it?" And I'm like, well, "It's a great conversation starter, as it is today." Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, and I hope you paid him some sort of commission, or some, some royalties, royalties. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, Sarah. You've got a really varied background. We got connected by David Smith. Um, when I requested, like, have you worked with any inspirational female leaders, any any people that you really enjoyed working with in business? And I've looked through your LinkedIn profile. Um, you've you've been in the industry for a while. Um, let's let's start with Big Mouth Media. So you understand you were at Big Mouth Media for a time. What were you doing there? Yeah, so I I joined Big Mouth Media when they were uh, a small, I guess. Startup before a startup was a, a thing. Um, agency in, in Edinburgh, I think I was around about employee number 20. Uh, and I joined their PPC team. Uh, I'm going to say hands on heart. I had no idea what PPC was when I, I joined. Um, in my interview, they said, would you like to be a member of the SEO or the PPC team? And I said, PPC? Uh, and that was it. It stuck. Um, so I, I joined a PPC team and actually realised immediately that this was like the the perfect combination of skills that that, that matched for me. You know, I I love the analytical data side and I've carried that right the way through my my career. 
Um, but I love the combination of that with with the ability to be creative and be sort of the the bedrock of a strategy. And at that point, you know, for the agency, PPC was definitely doing that. Um, so I, I mean, Big Mouth Media was thriving when I joined them. We we went from twenty employees to about 150 in the Edinburgh office quite rapidly, um, expanded out into London and then the wider, um, I guess, globe. We went uh, to New York and all the way through Europe. Um, and it was very much an atmosphere where if you, if you knew your stuff and you developed, you were given the opportunities, you know, you, you were, um, given new new positions and, and new projects and exciting things to do. And it, it became a little bit like a, what I presume a drug would be like, where um, you were constantly on the high of doing something that was innovative and uh, cutting edge and, and pushing the boundaries um, and at a pace that was just rapid. Uh, you, you know, the work we were doing was matching the growth and the expansion. Um and and it's been something that I've sort of strived to continue throughout my career. I I, I start kind of getting itchy feet if I I don't feel that there's there's this sort of exciting opportunities coming my way, which is a great part about what I do nowadays, where I'm a consultant and I you know I've kind of gone off to find that for myself. But um, at Big Mouth, I I expanded all the way through PPC and it was a really interesting time for PPC. You know, when I when I started back in the day, you you uploaded your keywords and, and ads to Google by sending Google an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, you couldn't amend it yourself. Your keywords wouldn't appear for a, a minimum of three to five working days. Um, and any amends that you wanted to make, you know, let's say you added uh, an incorrect tracking code, it all went back through that, that process. Um, there was no such thing as match types or, you know, the, 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 the simplicity of the channel was, was really quite something. So to watch the evolution over the, you know, the next 10 years when I was really heavily hands on in PPC, you, you, you couldn't imagine the, the change that it was going to come. And, and now, you know, I, I look at things like the, the introductions of PMAX and things that, Google are bringing in just now and it, you know, it's night and day compared to back in the good old days at, at Big Mouth Media. Um, I was then afforded. You also, you also had a lot of work with SEO as well in, in your career, right? So that the, so the, let's say I wouldn't use the word cowboy days. It's maybe a little bit too harsh, but the early days of search engine optimization. I mean, you must have some stories there, right? I mean, that's involved leaps and bounds from what it used to be. Oh, but masses. So, um, you know, when, when I started at Big Mouth, we, it was almost like a bit of a rivalry between SEO and PPC. You, you, you wanted the budget to come your way and, and, you know, your channel was so much better than the other one. Um, and, and then the, the, the power of, of what we were doing was about that, that synergy and, um, looking at how the, the channels could complement each other. And then as an agency, um, where I really became exposed to, to SEO and, and started driving things forward was, um, sort of that dawning of content marketing and, and how Google updated the algorithms back in the day of the panda updates and the penguin updates to, to, um, start bringing in those different signals and, and the, the way that we had to evolve 
the, the product um, and start thinking about, you know, it wasn't just enough to start getting, you know, getting all the links. And one thing Big Mouth Media always prided itself on was the, the real um, organic, um, well-behaved SEO tactics. You know, you, you would not get away with, with anything that was underhand. Um, and that's that was a fantastic thing to tell everybody. And I firmly believe in that ethos, but it didn't always make life easy for ourselves because we had to work doubly hard to get the, the, the rankings that we did when there were other other places that weren't doing that. So um, my my involvement really came into understanding how SEO could fit alongside the other channels. And I think that changed when when content started really playing a an active part. And I mean, I mean, quality content, you know, not not purely the old style of article writing and pushing it out there, but starting thinking about how those could interlink and what other channels could support it. And and, and SEO really became the heart of a, a cross channel strategy at that point, where, where I think previously we'd paid lip service to the channels being working in synergy, but really hadn't hadn't gotten very far. This update really pushed us to to move in that direction. And and you know, now more recently, uh, you know, holistic search is is a term that's used very regularly on campaigns and clients that that I work with. And you know, now finding technology that supports analyzing that data set as a whole and optimizing your search as a whole um is you know is a step forward that we couldn't have even thought of back in back in those days i i definitely see like huge progress and i do like the way that google is i mean i think that seo as a term is it's search engine optimization but i do sometimes feel and hear people say well it's also about being google friendly um but there, there's definitely a focus on quality content and that, like, does it actually provide any value? And there's still a lot of companies out there trying to cheat the game in a way. But you work with a lot of companies now. What are, what are your key pieces of advice when generating content that, let's say, um, provides them traction? What, what's your advice? Um, my advice is... For this, very similar to, to all areas of marketing I work in, it's got to be audience first. You've got to start with understanding why you're creating the content and who you're creating the content for. Um, I still think that too many people just create content because they believe that just sheer volume will will make that impact. And, and what really makes the impact is is doing it well. And by doing it well, I don't mean that content has to have lots of money spent on it and really high production values. In fact, some of the, the best content as, as platforms like TikTok show can be really quick and easy uh, user generated stuff that, that is just genuine, but speaks in the right fashion to the right people at the right time. Uh, and that, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. It's really quite a simple ethos, but the part that's more difficult is coming to the answers that, that, that point you in those right directions. So the analysis to understand what you've got and, you know, Google, again, the ecosystem helps you a lot with that. You know, if you've got your GA set up properly, yes, you're only seeing a, a, an element of the, the results there, but there's some really great demographic information to, to support you. And now with the interests and the audience information, you know, you can build up a pretty good picture to, um, 
to start working from. The other part I would say is you're never going to be at the perfect piece of content. So testing and optimizing and refining and, and in that continual loop, um, you'll, you'll, you'll get better results. Is it always then, is it also a good idea to then ask people what they want to hear about? Do, do, do companies actually do that? Um, I, I, <laughs> I think companies will tell you they do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the, the challenge in that process is always the, the time that it takes to, to do that. Uh, and then I guess the true part is truly hearing what, what's been said back to you because there's, there's lots of ways to interpret that feedback. Um, I think you can ask those questions. You can do it really simply by, you know, with surveys and, and, uh, conversations. You can start analyzing where people, what, what's resonating, resonating, where people are getting that. So, um, basic things that I, I find a great starting point are the FAQs in, in Google and, and seeing what people are actually asking. And then if you can create content that's answering those questions, then you already know that there's a, a desire for, for that. Um, not all oh, content. That's a good one. Yeah. It, tell, tell us more about that. So what is FAQs in Google? So, well, a, a lot of us now use Google as a, uh, ask a ask a question, and then there are other ways to do that with your voice activated um, uh, technology that that's right next to me. So I'm not going to talk about it, <laughs> or it will join us. But um, uh, people ask questions, and so when when you go into Google, it will give you your question and other questions that they think might be of interest. Um, so you've automatically there got a list of questions that people are asking Google. Um, I remember back in the day, it's been a while since I've been in, in the Google offices, but they, they used to have their big board behind the front desk with the searches that were going through the engine at the time. And you could see what people were. And that was really exciting because nobody knew what Google was getting asked. That was that was amazing. So to to now have that there at your fingertips, you, you can very quickly and easily do a bit of simple research Um other basic tools, again, uh, without <laughs> raving about Google too much, but Google Trends and, and just seeing the volumes that are on the right uptick. Uh, there's there's lots of ways to to quite easily find um, a starter for 10 that, that will then match what your business is doing and what your business is looking to, to talk about. And then you can build up that, that story. But... Um, yeah, I, I I like I think that's a great way to start and then build out iterations from from there. Hey, we hope you are enjoying this podcast. If there is subjects you would like discussed or questions answered, drop us a line at info at shapala.io. Future Fuzz, your guide to digital marketing. That's brilliant. So you then but before we started the um the the chat today you mentioned how you're helping companies at the moment and you said something quite interesting there and i made a note of it is that there are some organizations out there that have have you know, let's say built up their marketing strategy they've uh, created a great website they drive traffic to that site and then they also produce content and then at some point or another things seem to get a bit stale and 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 things have fallen off the radar to quote your words um you know, why why do you think that happens and how can companies you know sort of avoid that situation where things sort of get a little bit neglected i i think there's 
there's still uh, the reality in, in, in small to mid-sized organisations where um, marketing is seen as, some, as something that can be done as well as the day job. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll be doing, like, let's say it's a, I don't know, an estate agent. Um, their, their day job is to show property, sell property. Um, but they will believe that the marketing can be done alongside that. Um, and it, it's, it's quicker, it's cheaper. Um, and so that, that works when there's enthusiasm and there's people behind it. But, you know, these people aren't trained in marketing. They don't have a marketing strategy. Uh, and so, if they do see results, they're probably quite limited. And then there's nothing really to keep that motivation of, of carrying on with a marketing strategy. Quite often they'll have brought in consultants in the past to do a little bit of a project. Um, and then as soon as that project gets passed back to the business, again, it's time, it's effort, especially with content, because, um, you know, a lot of the time in content, especially B2B, we're talking about thought leadership pieces. If we can, if we can just get what's in your head down into this, this blog post, that'll be amazing. People will see how great you are. Um, but getting that down on paper requires time and effort, probably in a skill set that the people that you want to deliver it don't have. So it becomes really challenging, really time consuming. It feels like a chore. And if it's not then properly being planned, you're not getting the performance that you would expect from it. And it's all too easy to say, well, let's just not put the effort in there. Um, and, and I think, there's so much conversation about content and the value in, in terms of, of a marketing strategy that almost all, certainly all business owners that are within this LinkedIn network hear about it, know it's something they should be doing and they're beginning to go, right, okay, we, now's the time we need to, to do something about this and picking it back up. Um, so a lot of the work I, I do just now in working with those organizations is stripping it, stripping it right back. I, I will normally get engaged with saying, we think we need, to, we need more social. We need to be doing more social media and our website's not very good. And I'm like, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> right. so, okay. Um, what is it you actually want to achieve? Cause you, the answer may well be you need to be doing more social media, but how do you know that? What what makes you think that? And and then unpicking it. So typically, uh, going all the way back to to the, the the previous conversation, it starts with understanding what are your objectives for your business, who's your audience, how do you want to talk to them, and then it flows that you you have a brand that's fit for purpose, you have a web platform that's fit for purpose, and then you start engaging with the channels and the you. Know, the, the methods with which you you achieve that, normally social media will play a part of that mix, but it's not necessarily anything like uh, what, what they envisaged. Um, and, you know, I can't think of a conversation I've had with businesses about that recently where content hasn't been um, a huge part of that, that answer. Um, and it kind of ties all of those channel strategies together. I really like the, the holistic approach. I think that's really, really important. I think I think uh, I love the way you say people say we need to do more social and we need a better website. It seems to be a bit of a, a spray and pray approach. They see others doing it and they think, oh, I need to do that as well. 
um, it's a little bit like the, the neighborly uh, neighbor thing where someone gets a new kitchen in the street and then everyone in the street <laughs> wants to get a new kitchen. Very so, much so. Um, <laughs> but what about transparency? Because I've had some interesting conversations there. I believe in, in, in transparency of companies. I've seen some excellent companies that on their website, they report their monthly revenue figures, so how the revenue growth or decrease and how many hires they've had and how many new clients they've won. And they, they have that all on their website. I thought that was really great to see. They've got obviously nothing to hide. Um, and then other companies publishing their strategy documents and, and a company I work with called Stitch who um, actually made their Miro boards available, which they use for their onboarding. What do you think about that level of transparency? I think, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for transparency all, all, all the way through the business and um, pricing models, et cetera, et cetera. I, th I think the more you can be seen to be trustworthy, the more that you will build that relationship. And that's a great basis to do it. Again, I come back to the why, you know, do you need to? Is that actually going to make any impact? You know, don't be doing it because somebody else has done it and it looked good. Actually pick it out if that's that's going to move the needle for, for what you're doing. Um, or is just, you know, is is... I guess that's ethos, not always versus performance. It's just company ethos and good behaviour. Um, I, I think there's much more expectation uh, from the, the the audience, the end the end user, for um, a bigger understanding of and, and expectations of what organisations are delivering. So to know that uh, people now would value that onboarding process, to know that their staff are being treated and trained and brought in properly will make a, a big difference. And that might actually be a deciding factor now. Um, or it might just be a, a bare minimum that you can have to, to pass school. You know, if you've not got that, you're, you're not going to get the engagement further down the line. So, um, I, I think I'm, I'm all for it in theory. I think knowing the purpose of doing it is important to me uh, because it may not be where your time is best spent. Yeah, it could it could be indeed. It does take a lot of time, and it yeah. might not bring you the rewards that you really need. You, you know, business owners and and marketers could be better producing some content which provides some insight, they show some knowledge. Because I do feel like the knowledge builds trust, doesn't it? So if you show that you've got the knowledge and you show you know what you're doing, then that builds trust, and then you're more likely to convert new opportunities. But yeah, indeed, it's. Um, you don't. You also don't want to give too much away. There's a there's a Dutch saying where you say something like you're not going to give your cookies away or something like that. They're always related to some sort of cake or biscuit or something. Like that. <laughs> good, good practice. <laughs> I, I do think that it, it. You know, you can think of industries where that might be really that that level of transparency. You think of a a organize a, a business buying from, for instance, uh, an agency where, um, you know, I think there's a at sometimes an old school perception of how agencies will treat their staff and what what sort of conditions they work in long hours are they undervalued are they getting the correct training and if you're if you're a consumer buying that services from that agency you know you may well want to know that transparency around the onboarding process the training process the consistency of that training process so you're getting quality staff that are supporting your campaigns alongside the knowledge that actually those guys aren't working 70 hours a week 
they're only working the 37 and a half and the work-life balance and all the things that you you would like along th- alongside the things that you absolutely need. That transparency would be a really great way of using that and showing that people should engage with your agency versus others. Um, so I can see examples where it's a really well thought out piece to do, but that's because the audience of that and and the 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 end recipient values that transparency there. Um, it may just be in other industries that it's you know it, it, it's just a, a token bit of information that the marketing department feel great about putting up, but then as you correctly say, it makes a rod for their own back and having to continue to keep that there because you can't take it down once you've been transparent. You can't stop being transparent. So. Um, Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the four-day work week is a really key example of that, mm. and it's a, it's a definitely a no-going-back uh, moment where the companies are adopting that. They're trialling it in the UK. Yeah. I'm working with Hey Honey at the moment who have adopted a four-day work week. Yeah. Um, and that's that's great, and it's, it's good to, to get those messages across. Um, I'm not sure I can move to a four-day work week. I, I like working too much. I think it should be an option, right? I think um, for me, one of the things, sorry, sorry to cut you off. One of the things with the with working, you know, I, I'm I'm building a small business myself right now, so things like that are really close to my heart. Like, what what do we offer to people? How do we make it the, a, a place that people want to work? And you know, I have worked in in places where it is that seventy hour week, and I, you know, I, as much as we we want to we want to be able to pay the bills at the end of the month, I don't want people to work like that. I'd, I'd like to have the right ethos. Um, and so I think for for me, we've been working on genuine, complete flexibility uh, and complete trust rather than, I kind of feel like, I like the idea of a four-day week. I like what it, it's indicating, but it's still so prescriptive. It's still quite, we're going to watch your hours and we're going to make sure that you're <laughs> you're doing what you need to do. I prefer to say, look, we're all grown-ups here. We've all got a workload. Yeah. If you can do your workload and you're not letting anybody down and that you will attend the meetings that you're expected to and, you know, just basic good good working ethos, then if you want to take three hours off in the middle of the day to go and spend time with your kids and and work in the evening or not work in the evening, then that's great. On you go. I have no more expectation then you will do the good work that we've engaged to do. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's a really interesting topic because I, I think I, I agree with you. And then I can also see the lure of the four day work week because then there's a structure for a company. Um, but in many ways, I do agree with you um, because I'm really effective in the morning. I mean, if I could wake up at 5.30 in the morning and start working at six, I know and I have, done this during covid lockdown because i had to work in the morning in order to watch the kids in the afternoon so that my wife could work in the afternoon we were sort of switching it when the schools were closed and it was a really interesting experiment i was very very effective in the morning i'm absolutely useless in the afternoon past 4 p.m from 4 p.m till 7 p.m something goes wrong with my brain and it starts to shut down (laughs) that's great for me (laughs) i mean i'm being i'm being deadly honest i mean truthfully honest um but that that's great for me, and how, but it might not be. It might be difficult for a company. It's it's a really bad. It's a real balancing act. But I would actually generally agree with you. Yeah, we're all adults here. We 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 can we can do the work. 
when and and, and get those those tasks done. Yeah, hundred percent agree on that actually. And it was at that precise moment that my Bluetooth headphones ran out of battery and the podcast went a little bit wrong. I'd like to thank Sarah Webster for being my guest on the show. We'll definitely be inviting Sarah back for another episode. If you want to feature on the show, don't forget to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Justin Campbell, Future Fuzz Podcast. If you work in digital marketing, B2B marketing or e-commerce marketing, I would love to hear from you. Share this with your friends and don't forget to subscribe. For tuning in and making the choice to listen to this podcast. If you liked what you've heard today, please don't forget to subscribe. Future Fuzz is sponsored by Shopala. Shoppable ads and express checkouts for e-commerce. Future Fuzz, your guide to digital marketing. <laughs>